0: Thanks so much, band, Mahalia, and the band will be uh, back a little bit later. You can grab a seat. My name, uh, my name is Chris. Uh, as Josh said, I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond, and we are so glad that you're with us tonight. If you've snuck in later, in case uh, you missed it, we're wrapping up a three-part series that we are doing called Alone Together. And in case you have no idea what a series looks like in a church context, when I say series, you think like Game of Thrones, you think suits, you think friends or whatever it is you're into, essentially, that's what it's like in a church context. We take one big idea and we pick it apart over a number of weeks and every week we'll kind of pick one big idea and we'll dive right down into it. And the main idea with, uh, with this series that we've been talking about, Alone Together, is that Loneliness is actually not a sign that you're inadequate. In fact, we at this point in history are living in the most connected uh, generation that has ever lived. We can talk to people on the other side of the world just by picking up our phone. We can email people. We can see the news almost instantaneously as it is happening across the globe. We are more connected than we've ever been at any point throughout history. Yet for some reason, it seems that amidst all this connection, we can still feel so lonely. And in part one of this series, uh, Riley, another one of our communicators said that, that the idea that or what Christians talk about, when we say the reason that we feel lonely is that we were actually wired for and we were actually created for relationships. We were actually designed to be connected. Not just connected to other people, that's one part of it, but also connected to God. And then last week, part two, Josh was uh, talking about this big idea that you can't have a genuine relationship. No matter what kind of relationship you're in, you cannot have a genuine relationship unless you are genuine in that relationship. And so last week, we sent you home with a little bit of homework and and if you you weren't here last week, you can do it really, really quickly or you can just ask the person next to you to do it for you. And the question that we asked is we asked you to to identify what are your weaknesses when it comes to relationships, when it comes to family, when it comes to your work, when it comes to uni, what are your weaknesses? That that might be a really difficult question for you because you might be like, well, I don't have any weaknesses. Uh, If you feel like that, just ask your brother, ask your sister, ask your mom, ask your dad, ask your boyfriend, girlfriend. They'll tell you what your weaknesses are. Because we wanted you to start to identify what your weaknesses are because, let, let's be honest, we impress people with our strengths and Josh talked about this last week but we really connect with people on our weaknesses and, and, and uh, being honest and being genuine about our weaknesses is the first step to healthy relationships but if you, if you finish there, you kind of don't get the whole picture. Because while identifying our weaknesses is, is just one part of the step towards a healthy relationship, I bet that you know people, just like I know people, that use the weaknesses in their relationship as a, as a crutch to form bad relational habits. Some of you maybe, maybe know that person and when it gets to organising an event or organising where you go out to or in your workplace when you've got to organise something, they are so controlling. You do this, you send me this email, you, you rock up at this time. And, and someone says something, they're like, hey, have you ever noticed you're, you're a little controlling? You're a little bit of a control freak? And their default response is, well, I'm controlling, that's just, that's just me. That's my weakness. And so they default into their weakness as, as an excuse for bad relational habits. Guys, uh, we're really good at this one. Uh, I've got commitment issues. Commitment issues. You know, when, when you sit down with someone and there's that DTR Conversation. Let's define the relationship. I'd love to, but I've got commitment issues. And then they're like, "Well, you're never going to learn to get over them unless you commit." Well, look, I'd love to, but I've got commitment issues. It's a weakness of mine. We all know those people. And maybe it's jealousy for you. Maybe it's need—the need for attention. You crave that attention. Maybe it's just self-centeredness in general. And you're like, "Well, it's my weakness. I can't do anything about it. I wish I could. I've identified the weakness." And it's true that we do connect with people through our weaknesses, but but if we're really honest, the quality of our relationships are determined by what we anchor our relationships in, or what our relationships are anchored in. I don't know if you're uh, much of a boat person, as you can tell, the only boat-related thing I've ever owned is boat shoes. Um... But this is an anchor. I, I didn't own it. I had to ask one of my friends for it, and he brought it around, and it didn't look like the usual anchors that you see on tattoos and stuff. And I was like, is this really an anchor? But apparently it is. And I wanted to, I wanted to show you this because for all of us in our life, the quality of our relationships are determined by what our relationships are anchored in. And so if you drop an anchor off a boat, or if you're in a, a building, you place it down very gently. There we go. It's a lot noisier than I thought it was going to be. And you set that anchor down because you want to be located around a point. Because as the tide begins to change, the boat begins to move. And you want to know that where you put your anchor down, you'll be drawn back to that point. Or if the seas start to to swell up, you want to know that where you dropped your anchor, you will be pulled back to that point. And the same is true for us in our relationships is we throw, rela- we throw anchor points down in our relationships. Some of us throw relational anchorship points down in insecurity, and everything's going really, really well, and then all of a sudden there's a little bit of a change of tide, or the, the storms of life start to come, and that insecurity rises to the surface. And all of a sudden we, we lash out, or we strike out in anger. Or everyone knows, or someone makes a comment about something we're insecure about, and, and we react, or maybe your re- relationship anchor point is all centred around money. Every conversation you have in your house, uh, you know if you want to uh, have a good conversation with your parents or, or maybe your brother or your sister, you stick clear of money. Because you know that if you bring that up there, that you're going to get a certain reaction. Because their relational anchor point is anchored in that discussion about money. We all know people who are, whose relationship anchor point is, is anchored in their pride or their ego, Maybe for you, it's anchored in that inability to, to admit that you're wrong. When everything's going wrong, or smooth sailing, when, when everything's fine and no one's challenging you, it's all good. But all of a sudden, someone goes, hey, did you get that wrong? And you're like, no, I didn't get that wrong. And all of a sudden, that anchor point becomes really, really apparent and you're drawn back to it. And the reason that we're talking about this tonight is because we don't drift towards, uh, into good anchor points. We don't drift towards good anchor points. There's a couple of slides forward on that one. We don't drift towards good anchor points uh, in our lives. We discipline and prioritize ourselves there. There has never been a point in your life where, where you have woken up and you think to yourself, man, we have just drifted into the best relationship ever and I do not know how we got here. It is just so fantastic and we just didn't do anything to get here. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. But chances are you've woken up with that relationship or maybe that friendship or maybe even that marriage. And you've said, How did we get here? How did we drift to this point? How do we drift to this point where this marriage is starting to to, to split? How do we drift to this point where where all of a sudden we don't even talk to each other anymore? We used to be best friends, and now, now we don't talk to each other, and I don't know what's going on in your life, and you don't go know what's going on in my life. Because we drift not towards good anchor points. And the way to have good anchor points in our lives is to prioritize the right things and be disciplined about the right things when it comes to our relationships. And if you take nothing away from tonight. What I want you to know is two things. First of all, I want you to have the best relationships you can have. I want you to be so good at relationships that other people come to you for relationship advice. That over time, you come up here and you give us relationship advice. That's what I want for you. I want you to have the best relationships ever. I don't want you to drift in the wrong direction. And if you walk away from here tonight and uh, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm really good at relationships, Chris. Chris, I could come up there, I could take the mic off you, I could give you the relationship talk, and it would be so easy for me to do that. Then what I want you to do is I just want you to file this away in your back pocket. Because maybe there might come a time where you're struggling a little bit in your relationships. And I want you to know, if you take nothing else away from tonight, I want you to know this so you can refer back to it in the future. That a relationship that's anchored in you will lead to a relationship with only you. If your relationship is ultimately grounded in you, anchored in you, over time, you will be left with a relationship that revolves around and eventually is with only you. Now, the good news tonight, if uh, this is your first time to church, if you're not really a follower of Jesus, is I am not going to be really talking to you at all tonight so you can sit back, you can relax, you can take a deep breath, because I want to talk directly tonight to those people in this room who would stick their hand up and say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because you guessed it, what, what I'm going to talk about tonight is to say that, that I think that the best place for us as followers of Jesus is to put our anchors and our anchor for our relationships in Jesus. Now, I totally get, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I wouldn't expect you to put your anchor in Jesus. Like, that's just an unrealistic expectation for me to ask. But, but stay with this, because maybe tonight, as you, sit, as you listen, you'll realise that maybe the reason you push back against church, maybe the reason that you kind of are standoffish towards Christians is, is not so much because of this whole Jesus guy, but it's because there were Christians who anchored themselves in something other than Jesus. And so you had a misrepresentation of what it actually means to follow Jesus. Now, I'm also... Uh, Very aware that when I say that we're going to talk about anchoring our relationships in Jesus, that there are a whole bunch of followers of Jesus in the room who go, Right, I'm just going to switch off. Because, Chris, I sing songs about anchoring my relationship in Jesus. I sing songs about water all the time. Like, I sing songs about going to church. Uh, I sing, oh, sorry, I go to church uh, in the morning and then I go to church at night. Like, I'm a super Christian. Chris, I am not in one connect group, but I am in two connect groups. Like, I I know all about anchors. My life is anchored around around Jesus. If you you were to get a checkbox of what it looks like to be a Christian, my life would check all the boxes. And if that's you, I just want you to just just come in just for one second. Because the majority of the New Testament, the majority of the letters that we have that were written by Paul, that were written by Matthew, Mark and Luke, were written even by Jesus' own brother were written to followers of Jesus who thought their lives were anchored in Jesus. Most of the stuff we read in the New Testament is when, is when uh, guys like Paul wrote to followers of Jesus and said, hey, your anchor point has shifted. And we're going to discover tonight that when the church first began, it began and it grew from a couple of hundred to a couple of thousand overnight. And Jesus' brother, James, became the leader or the pastor in this city called Jerusalem, one of the largest churches that was going around. And over time, this city that was the place where the church first began, all these Christians in this city, their anchor point began to drift. And so what happened was James, the brother of Jesus, sat down to write them a letter about how they could shift their anchor point away from themselves and back towards Jesus. Now, before we, we get to the letter, I, I think it's worth mentioning just, to, just two things really quickly. First of all, whenever we, whenever we read or whenever I look at one of James's letters that James wrote, I, it's always incredible because what would it take for you to be convinced that your brother was God? Because this is exactly what James went through. In fact, the entire time that Jesus walked the earth, James didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. James thought Jesus was a lunatic. James thought Jesus was a nut job, and it wasn't until Jesus rose from the grave and appeared to him. Not only did James begin to believe that his brother was God, but James began to follow his brother. And James, like, like as we're going to discover, was the uh, pastor, the leader of one of the largest churches in the early Jesus movement. Uh, and the second uh, thing to note tonight is, if you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, James goes in, in this passage. If you've ever been uh, on Instagram or you've ever been on Facebook and someone's uh, kind of made a comment, so you click into it or made a status and you click into it and you start scrolling down and all of a sudden you're like, oh, they just went full savage. (laughs) This is the equivalent of someone going full savage on the Facebook comments. James goes full savage on Christians. In fact, if you're not a Christian, you might just pick up James's letter just to read the way he talks to Christians. And this is how he starts. He starts by asking them a question. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? There was was some divisions going on within the early church and it's kind of one of those questions James is like, actually don't answer that, I'll answer for you. And in the next verse he says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Now, this is not some like, ooh, out there, evil desires sort of thing. This is really what James is saying here is, you have anchored yourself in Jesus, and you started that way. And then over time, that anchor began to shift. And so, all of a sudden, when you get to a tension point in your relationship, you don't evaluate it through the lens of the person you claim to follow, but you evaluate it through your own needs, and through your own desires, and through what will bring you the most benefit. That's what he's talking about when he says these evil desires. And then he goes on. He says, you want what you don't have. The reason that, there's a, that you're fighting in the first place is because you want what you don't have. You're going through life and all of a sudden a storm comes up and you start looking around at how everyone else is doing. And you start seeing, oh, well, that person doesn't seem to be moving. They seem to be anchored down steadily. That person seems to be anchored down well. I want what they have. And James says, when you start to do that, this is what you do. You scheme and you kill to get it. Now, this is hyperbole, there wasn't like, they weren't in the church going around like killing people, but what James is trying to do is he's really zoning in on his, on his listeners, on his community and he's saying, hey, remember when my brother gave his most famous sermon ever on a mountain, we, we really creatively titled it the Sermon on the Mountain, and he went on and he raised the bar, the entire message, the entire message he gave, he continually raised the bar of the expectations and how Christians were supposed to live in relationship with one another and with other people who don't believe. And he said, remember he got to a point and he said, if you hate someone, what's it the, what's it the equivalent of? And Everyone in the audience would have known, he, he said that if we hate people, it's the equivalent of murder. Jesus said, if you hate someone, that's the standard that you're held to now. It's the equivalent of murder. And so James is bringing them back to those words of Jesus. And then he goes on. He reiterates it. He says, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. And he says, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You fight and you wage war. And he's writing this to Christians who are living with other Christians. He's saying, when things don't go your way, it's not, oh, how can I filter this through the lens of, of what Jesus, how Jesus told us to live? He goes, no, 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 you fight and you wage war to take what they have away from them so you can make yourself feel better that your relationship isn't anchored in the right spot. He says, you're tearing them down when really you should be building them up in the first place. And then, this is where it really goes all in. This is where it really starts to kind of go all in. And, and if you're a Christian and you're here tonight, you're probably like, wow, I can't believe I picked such a great night to come to church. But this is what, this is what uh, James says next. He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. What a slap in the face. He's sitting there and he's like, he's like you want all these things, but you're Christians and you don't even pray to God. The God that you, you claim to follow, this Jesus that you claim to follow, you don't even talk to Him. And someone, because James would have known this, there's going to be a couple of people who are like, well, I do. And then so James, James has a little passage for them as well, he says, but the reason that, that you don't get what you want is because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. In other words, he's saying when your relationship anchor point is... is uh, kind of starting to move and you feel like you're starting to shift and you look at someone else, the reason, the only reason you talk to God is so he'll give you what they have. You don't talk to God to anchor your own life, you talk to God to, to, to take away something that someone else has or to give you something so it makes you feel better than someone else. And James says that as followers of Jesus, when, when we get to that point, we've missed our anchor. I wish I could say he's done, but he's not. This is the last part. This is the last part where James goes all in. And this is what he says. He says, you adulterers. Wow. Wow. He's only talking to the Christians here. It's all good. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? That's a bit harsh, hey? What he's doing at this point is he's he's looking them dead in the eye. He's clearing his throat and he wants to make sure he has their attention. He wants to make sure that they are that leaning in so that he, they, uh, they understand exactly what message he's trying to communicate. Because James said, Hey, as the church, don't we believe this? We believe that the church is the hope of the world. We believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And he says, So, what it means for us, if we believe that the local church is the hope of the world, then we should have the best relationships in the world. The way we live our life, the way we interact with each other should attract people, not push them away. In fact, our relationships should be so good that when we when we're out in the community, people should say, I don't believe what they believe, but man, I would love to work for one of those people. I, I don't buy into that whole thing, but man, I hope my son, I hope my daughter dates one of them. I hope that one day when, when I send my kids to school that they are taught by one of them because I know that if they are around these followers of Jesus, they will learn to have fantastic relationships because every single follower of Jesus that I know has fantastic relationships. And what James is saying to Christians, to the early church in this message, he's saying, if God wired you for relationships, if God wants other people to know Him, You need to understand what's at stake, not only for your own relationship with God, but for the way that you interact with other people as well. Because too often, isn't it true that the church has been characterized for everything other than good relationships? People look in on the church and they look in and they say, look, it's cool, but what's the difference? I mean, they... They talk about each other behind their backs. They squabble. They fight. I hear the way that they interact with each other. I hear the, the way that they interact with people who don't even believe what they believe. There's nothing, they, I don't want anything to do with them if that's what it's about. And James wants followers of Jesus to understand just how critical it is and just how much of an impact it makes for us to have great relationships, not just with people in our community but with people who don't know at all or don't know God at all and chances are you're sitting here tonight and you want to have great relationships as well and I can't read inside your minds but but I'm guessing that you want to have the best relationships that you can have in your life and the only reason I know that is because I want to have the best relationships that I can have in my life. I don't want an average relationship I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever woken up and you've thought to yourself, right, how can I have the most average friendship possible today? I don't, I, don't, I don't want, you know, or maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, average is the benchmark. Oh, I kind of want a not great relationship. When I get a boyfriend or I get a girlfriend, I want it to be not great. Average is probably shooting too high. No, you don't want that, do you? No one wants to get married and think to themselves, I just hope we have a mediocre marriage for the rest of our lives. The next 40 years, I just want them to be so mediocre. No one sits there and no one thinks that. And this is what James is saying. James is saying, you don't want to be average. And you don't want other people to look in at your relationship and think they're just like everyone else. James is saying, the reason I've got to be so harsh, the reason I've got to get up in your face is because you need to realize that you don't want average relationships. But if you don't want average relationships, you need to change your anchor point. So the question becomes, how do you change your anchor point? How do you know, even if you think your relationships are going along great, how do you know what the anchor point is that maybe you've grounded your relationship in? How do you identify it? And James, James begins to talk about how we can do this. And this is what he says. It sounds really, really simple. But you'll find out and you know it's probably a lot more difficult than it seems. James says it's easy come close to God. So simple. So simple. Come close to God. James says, if you want to anchor your relationships, if you want to move it out of you and put it into God, then you need to actually come close to God. You need to turn your direction back towards God. Now, and I understand that some of you are sitting there and you're like, okay, that's great, but what's something tangible I can do? Like, how do I go about doing that? What is does what is coming close to God look like and I'm not even sure if I'm sold on it, but if I was to come close to God, what would it look like this week? Well, we have this thing at Beyond, it's called Full Monday, because uh, we believe, whether you're a Christian or not, whatever part of the faith journey you're on, that if you come to church on Sunday, it should be helpful for you for the rest of the week. And this week, because I knew I was going to have uh, one of the smartest crowds we've ever had, I was going to give you a two-part For Monday. Two parts, because I know you can do it, because you're so smart. The first part, if you want to begin to c- draw close to God, Even if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you're like, I've got questions. This is how you can draw close to God. The first one is to ask this question. Is in my relationships, is there attention that deserves my attention? In my family relationships, when I sit around the dinner table, when I interact with my mom or my dad or my uncle or my grandparents or my brothers or my sisters, when I interact with that person at work, person that no one really likes to interact with, when I get that that phone call from that friend that I just dread all the time, is there a tension that deserves your attention? And if you're not sure what that tension is, you can do the same thing we talked about right at the start. Just grab someone in your family and say, hey, are there any tensions in our relationships that need addressing? Because once you begin to understand what the tension is, you can begin to address it. Because you can't actually address that tension until you throw it out in the open. Until you begin to, to identify it, until you begin to identify what that anchor point is, you have got no hope of addressing it. So that's the first part. Ask the question, is there a tension that deserves my attention? And then secondly, once you've identified what the tension is, I want you to do this. I want you to connect with a follower of Jesus who prioritizes the things that you want to prioritize. Remember what we said right at the start, that that we don't drift towards good anchor points. We only get to a good anchor point through discipline and through prioritizing. And the reason that the church that James was writing this letter to had drifted away, the the reason that James needed to go full savage was because they hadn't prioritized the things that they wanted to prioritize. They hadn't prioritized their relationship with Jesus. And so for you, If there's something in your life, maybe, I don't know what the tension is for you. Maybe the tension is your ego. Maybe the tension is the fact that you're insecure. That you you always crave and you need your needs to be fulfilled before you can fulfill anyone else's needs. Whatever that tension is, I want you to identify someone who seems to prioritize and seems seems to have a good grasp on that. I don't want you to go and talk to someone who's wrestling with the same tension as you. I want you to go and grab someone who prioritizes and seems to have a good handle around the thing that you wish you had a great handle around. And I want you to invite them out for coffee or get a beer with them or take them out for lunch or whatever it is you do. And I want you to, to ask them, hey, how is it that you discipline yourself around this area? How is it that you prioritize this in your life? How is it that I can move my anchor point back into Jesus, because I've started to drift, and I need your help. And maybe for you, this is your, uh, you've been on the fringes for a little bit, and maybe this is just a great opportunity for you to go up to the Connect desk, to grab a Connect card, and to, uh, and to fill one of those cards in and join a Connect group for the first time. To be around people who are just trying to prioritize Jesus. Maybe this is all new for you and you're like, I've got so many questions, I don't even know what it would look like. To prioritize Jesus. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to take that step into a connect group and begin to do that. And James says that when you actually draw close to God, when you begin to uh, address the attention and prioritize, he said, This is what will happen God will come close to you. I want you to miss just how powerful. The people in the first century would have understood those words to be. This is someone who believed that Jesus died for their sins, but who for the 30 years of their life that they had the opportunity to learn from him, ridiculed him, mocked him, told everyone that he was a loser, told everyone that he was a lunatic. And it wasn't until he rose from the dead that James began to take him seriously. And James he says, I had this opportunity all my life to get to know, to get to know God. And I, I turned my back on it. He said, when I drew close to God, he drew close to me. And if there was anyone that he was not going to draw close to, it would have been me because I picked on him so bad. I made so much fun of him. But he drew close to me. And as we bring this to a close, I'm going to invite the band back up. And I just want to leave you with one final thought because as followers of Jesus it can seem like such a difficult task that seems like so much effort and I know that some of you here tonight there's this tendency right there's this tendency when you're going to church for a while that you know that seems a little difficult it seems like I might have to do a couple of things I'm not super comfortable about what I might do is I might just tick the attended church box for this box for this week and leave the door I'll forget about this message. It'll be a little, I don't really want to do too much about this. But I want to leave you with the words of um, an author. His name's David Plutt. He wrote a book called Radical. And if you're in that boat, you're like, it seems a little too hard. This is what he says He says, We, Christians, are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves and anchoring ourselves in Jesus. And I understand that you may be here tonight, and you may have gone to church your entire life, and you're like, oh, I really wanna, don't want to wrestle with this, it seems a little bit hard. And if that's you, this is exactly the time that you need to begin to take this seriously. Because this is the time when maybe your anchor has got stuck in you. And maybe you've drifted uh, unintentionally away from Jesus and you've rooted your anchor in something about you. And James says, you don't have to be ashamed, you don't have to be worried about what will happen when you say, hey God, I've, I've maybe I've put my anchor in me. Because James says, when you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. And as followers of Jesus, we dare not settle for anchoring ourselves in anything other than Jesus. Because we are the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. So don't settle for anything less than anchoring your relationships in the God who designed you for relationships. I'd love to pray for you. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the words of James. Lord, we thank you that uh, that we weren't there when they read this letter initially, that we can read it from a distance. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't read these words from a distance and distance ourselves from the words. I pray that we would engage with them. That maybe there are some people here tonight who who, uh, their anchors have been drifting. And maybe they've gone to church for their whole life, they've done the church thing and And maybe it was just at a point where they didn't really want to admit that their anchor had drifted. Lord, I pray that this would be an opportunity tonight to know that that when, when we move that anchor point from ourselves and when we look to plant it back in you, that you don't get angry, you don't get mad, Lord, but you actually draw close to us. And you welcome us and you embrace us and you forgive us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we wrap this series up, Lord, that we would be a community that has phenomenal relationships, because our relationships are anchored in the one who wired us and who designed us and who created us for relationships. Lord, I pray that when people look in on this community, when people look in and when people say, what's Beyond Church about? Someone will say, hey, I don't don't really know what they believe, I don't really know if I buy it, but man, those people are just some of the best people you'll ever meet. Those people have some of the best relationships you will ever have and Even if you don't believe what they believe, you should just go and hang around them because you'll become a better person from spending time with them. So Lord, may we anchor ourselves in you, not just tonight, but for the rest of our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.